Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal, whether accessing our free services in person at one of our 175 locations online or over our toll-free helpline, you're getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, pediatric support, and more. Today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on Coronavirus, and we're going to focus on emotions and the feelings that cancer patients and caregivers might experience as they coped with the impact of the spread of coronavirus. We at CSC have been hearing from many people through our helpline, uh, as well as through a survey that was designed by our Research and Training Institute. And patients have been sharing their experiences with us. Uh, what is abundantly clear to us is that a lot of people are feeling alone. They're feeling anxious, fearful about the future. So today we've got two amazing guests who are going to help put context to our feelings and share strategies to help us cope. Later in the show, we'll be joined by my friend and colleague, Susan Ashley, Vice President of Clinical Services for the Cancer Support Community. But first, we're going to speak to Jamie Aiton, a disaster expert who was faced with his own personal disaster when he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer at the age of 35. I feel so lucky to have him on the show because now, several years into remission, he's able to share insights, observations, and advice that draws from both his personal cancer journey and his deep understanding of how people respond to crisis. But before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Jamie. Jamie is a disaster psychologist and disaster ministry expert. In 2016, he received the FEMA Community Preparedness Champion Award at the White House. Jamie helps others navigate mass, humanitarian, and personal disasters with scientific and spiritual insight. He's the founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College in Illinois and holds the Blanchard Chair of Humanitarianism and Disaster Leadership. In addition to over 100 scholarly publications, he's the co-editor and author of seven academic books, including two American Psychological Association bestsellers. His disaster and humanitarian resources have been adopted and utilized by many organizations, including World Relief, FEMA, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Chicago Department of Public Health. Jamie's writing frequently appears in outlets that include the Washington Post, uh, Psychology Today. He's also regularly cited and interviewed by news outlets like CBS News, Fox News, TV, Yahoo, uh, Moody Radio, uh, Religion News Service, and more. I had the pleasure of spending time with Jamie last year when he came to tell us about his book, A Walking Disaster, What Surviving Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be back. Hey, Jimmy, before we get started, tell us how you're doing today. I'm doing quite well. So I'm glad to be able to report that I'm in good health. You know, still continue to struggle like so many survivors with ongoing challenges related to previous treatments and to um, previous surgeries, but glad to uh, still have no evidence of disease. I'm happy to hear that, Jamie, for sure. 
Uh, before we jump in, into the topic uh, for today, I, I want our listeners to better understand your area of expertise. It might be a, a new term for folks. What is a disaster psychologist? Well, I, I think that just really means a psychologist who ended up doing disaster work that never expected to do disaster work. So I'm, I'm actually a counseling psychologist by training, so doing clinical work and so on. But I had moved to South Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina had hit the new community that we had just moved into. And as a result of that, have gone on to specialize in disaster mental health. So I work with people all over the globe, including with our institute, where we're providing emotional care and trauma interventions, both in terms of responding to natural disasters, to responding to civil conflicts, to working with refugees, and most recently, uh, responding to the COVID-19 response. So, Jimmy, my understanding is that that in some ways, not to simplify too much, but there are sort of two kinds of disasters, a large-scale disaster, an earthquake, a mass shooting, a, a terrorist attack, and then there are personal disasters like a health crisis. Um, How are people's reactions similar or different in both cases individually, you know, or as a group, you know, to to break that down for us a little bit? Mm -hmm. You know, for, for for my experience, there's a lot of similarities, but also some really important nuances between the two that one of the challenges with going through a a mass disaster is oftentimes your um, social networks end up being disrupted. You know, your whole community may be going through an event. So in some ways, that is both good and bad at the same time. You know, what, what the negative part is that others that you would have normally turned to for help and assistance are also impacted, and so you may not be able to rely on them or them on you in the same ways. Also, your community tends to undergo significant stress that starts to filter into everyday life. At the same time, there's a positive to that negative shared experience in that people tend to um, understand, so to speak, a little bit better about what others are going through, and there's that kind of shared, we're in this together. Whereas on a personal disaster, most often what happens is what's happening instead of impacting others, it's all playing out internally. And so quite often people aren't fully aware of what you're going through or may not be able to relate or struggle to relate in some way. So again, there's similarities, but also those very important differences. So Jamie, um, so how do you categorize a situation like the coronavirus or as as it's sometimes referred to COVID-19 and this outbreak? I feel like, I, I don't know, we might be bridging both of those definitions a little bit. Yeah, I really do think we are bridging uh, both of those kind of forefronts, that there's really both of those things happening at the same time, that there's this kind of overall shared experience that we're all having to some extent where... You know, that it's almost, in some ways it reminds me very much of um, kind of what happened after 9-11, where you saw this kind of like things were different, but we struggled as a country to sometimes articulate how life was different. Or even after Hurricane Katrina, for example, you know, I think about how people talked about how New Orleans didn't quite feel like New Orleans or didn't feel like home in the same way that it had prior to the disaster. You know, in that case being maybe some loss of culture, in the case of 9-11, the sense of kind of a loss of security or sense of safety. And so I think right now, um, overall, that people are struggling to make sense of what is this that we're going through. And at the same time, recognizing that there are people that are going through personal disasters, so to speak, during this crisis, that maybe it was a struggle they already had that's being compounded and made more difficult, or problems that they thought they had worked through that are now kind of coming back to the forefront in their life. Yeah, I think that's 
I think that's right. Um, you know, uh, Jamie, I have a question I want to ask you because I, I want our, our listeners to have a clear understanding of your unique perspective, because not only are you a cancer survivor, but you're also a Hurricane Katrina survivor. In fact, it was your experience with Hurricane Katrina that set you on the path of specializing in disasters. So tell us about those personal experiences and their intersection. Well, you, you know, for me, when I you know, found out that Katrina was coming, I, I just remember feeling really hopeless and really didn't know what to do or, or how to respond. In fact, I have this vivid memory as we were trying to decide, do we stay in the house that we just moved to, or do we try to pack up our family in the tiny little uh, you know, two-door Saturn car that we had at the time and try to evacuate? You know, We didn't know anyone there. And all of a sudden, I remember hearing um, kind of in my head there this kind of thought about what to do in the case of an emergency or a disaster. And, and all of a sudden, I remembered in the moment all those public service announcements that had been used after 9-11. And so I go looking through the house trying to find the equipment that I remembered, and there it was. I pulled it out of one of the unopened boxes, and it was the holy grail. It was duct tape. And I remember standing there with duct tape thinking, (laughs) what am I supposed to do to get ready for a hurricane with duct tape? You know, it wasn't until later that I realized that all those PSA or public service announcements were really saying, have that in case there's a bioterrorist attack. And that wasn't going to help me uh, stop a hurricane. But in that moment, I remember just feeling like I had no idea what to do to, you know, help my family or even protect myself in that case. And when I ended up getting diagnosed with cancer, those same feelings kind of came back again and realized that there was a lot of things that I had seen studying all over the globe and others that when the personal disaster hit home, that there was no evacuating this time, that it was playing out in my own life. Yeah. I found myself looking recently at things like flashlights and duct tape as well. So, <laughs> well, now they might, I, I hear, be, I hear, might I hear. be the right, uh, right things to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so Jamie, I've heard from several cancer survivors that their experience with cancer, with living with the uncertainty that comes with the mm-hmm. diagnosis has in some ways, in some ways anyway, prepared them to cope with the impact of the spread of coronavirus. One person wrote, cancer provides tools to handle difficult life situations. This coronavirus is my, quote, next big thing, and learning how to use the tools has been interesting. So what are you hearing in your circles Mm -hmm. from cancer survivors, and what are your thoughts on this perspective? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when we go through difficult times that, you know, the research shows, for example, that when you've gone through a major trauma, you may be more likely to experience uh, trauma in other highly stressful situations. At the same time, research also shows that when we go through difficulties like a cancer experience, that some are able to learn from that and develop and cultivate new skills or new ways of coping that can be used to actually foster greater resilience going into future situations. And, you know, just an example of that, you know, I had somebody, I was talking to a friend on a Zoom call the other day, and they were talking about how... um, because they had seen where I had posted that I hadn't left my home for, I think it had been 21 days straight. And they were calling to check in on me to see how I was doing with that. And I hadn't even really realized, you know, oh, that is such a long time. But in my head, I was thinking, that's not even as close to the longest hospital stay, you know, that I've had and, you know, been disconnected from the rest of the world. So in some ways, I do think going through those types of experiences can give us a unique perspective that can actually help us to be able to navigate these uncertain times uh, based on what we've learned and been through previously. 
Jamie, as I was thinking about the show today, something came back to me was I was preparing for the show. Something you said the last time you were on the show, uh, you said when Katrina threatened, my family and I were able to evacuate. But what was so scary about cancer was that there was no way to evacuate. This time the disaster was happening inside of me. By all accounts, I was a walk-in disaster. As you look at how our current situation is unfolding, sheltering in place as a primary uh, sort of survival strategy, as opposed to evacuating, right? It's the opposite. What what insights can you share with us about these fears and, 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 and concerns? Well, you know, I think that it's important for us to all recognize how COVID-19 may be impacting us. You know, even if someone has not, you know, been directly impacted, all of us are being impacted in one way or another. You know, just that level of stress that people even start to kind of carry with them and may not fully be aware of it. So just really encourage everyone to, as best as they can, to try to stay to somewhat of a normal, quote-unquote, normal schedule and to find ways to keep up those mundane routine tasks as best as we can because those kind of small life rhythms really help to bring balance in challenging times. And then also to make sure that we're taking time every day to pay attention to what is it that we're feeling? How are we doing physically? How's my thought life been? And checking in on not just our physical selves, but also on what's happening with ourselves emotionally. Yeah, Jamie, we're, we're, uh, we're getting to our, um, our break here. And um, I just want to take a quick minute, and we can pick this up on the other side of the break, to start to talk about hope and optimism I think you you would agree maybe these are things that, that we need, um, you know, during these difficult times. Take a, just a quick minute to, to define those words for us, hope and optimism, and how they can help us through these difficult times. Well, before the challenges I went through, I don't think I really understood the difference between optimism and hope. And in times like this, we, we need both, but it's also important to recognize the ways that they're unique. You know, optimism is the idea that we can get through this and that everything's going to be all right. Whereas hope is even a, a stronger virtue that it's that even if something goes wrong, that life still will be okay. And, and so mm-hmm. it, it helps us to be able to grapple with hardship, but it, it recognizes that maybe life won't go back all the way to normal, but, but that's still okay. Yeah, yeah. Jamie, I want to pick that up on the other side of the break. We're just going to take a quick break here, but before we do, I want to share uh, with you an excerpt from one of CSC's Songs of Hope. Uh, the cancer support community has been fortunate to have wonderful Broadway stars and other acclaimed musicians and talents uh, and other friends of CSC giving comfort and support during these difficult uh, days. I'd like to share with you a moving rendition uh, of Amazing Grace from two-time Tony nominee Laura uh, Osnes. We're just going to take a quick minute uh, to listen to that. Let's do that now. Dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Insight. Uh, we are talking uh, about uh, the challenging emotional uh, time 
in the, the face of this coronavirus epidemic and, and all that people are, are processing um, and particularly the challenges for those affected by cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene. Lily Oncology and Merck. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. With us today is cancer survivor and disaster expert, Jamie Aiton. Jamie is the founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute and Disaster Ministry Conference at Wheaton College in Illinois. He's also the author of A Walking Disaster, What Surviving Can- uh, Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. Um, well, you know, as my friends know, I'm a true believer in the power of music to lift the spirit. And uh, with that in mind, before we jump back in with uh, Jamie, I'd love to share a a short excerpt from the song that uh, Broadway star Telly Leung uh, contributed to CSC's uh, Songs of Hope uh, project. We love Telly. Um, He's been a wonderful friend and champion for CSC. Uh, Let's just take a minute to uh, listen to Telly singing, You Gotta Be. You gotta be, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. You gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. All I know, all I know is a love will save the day. Harold, what your mother said, 
the books your father read. Try to solve the puzzles in your own sweet time. Some may have more cash than you, others take a different view. My, oh my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just terrific, just terrific, and so uplifting uh, during these challenging times. Jamie, um, as I think on the lyrics uh, of that song, you got to be strong, all the things that you got to be, and, the, and how we think about defining ourselves in the, in the face of, of this crisis. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the, the words. Let's keep talking about some of these words, resilience, fortitude, grit. Talk about what some of these words uh, have meant for you in the past, and what, what do they mean for you now? Well, you know, that's really what I've spent my entire career studying has been resilience and trying to understand, you know, why is it some people may be able to go through a difficult period and seem to bounce back or even grow from it where others may struggle or others may never get on the other side of that negative experience that they've had. And then through my own experiences more personally, I started realizing that my understanding of what resilience was and wasn't was quite narrow. You know, so we've found in studies that we've done all over the world that resilience can help us through difficult times. But when I was going through my health challenges, what I realized is that very few people tend to actually bounce back in the way that we, I think, sometimes think is how most people bounce back. And remember having people tell me that I was quite resilient when I know the definition of resilience. It's our ability to bounce, and that was not what I saw in my own life. And so as I started looking closer at the research, finding out that oftentimes when people go through a major life crisis or trauma, that it actually tends to take longer for people to recover than the popular notions of resilience. But I also was struggling because within that, I realized that there was something different about what I was going through, what I've seen other people go through that didn't quite fit with that definition of bouncing back. And one of the strengths I think that many of your listeners have is that what I would refer to and what we've gone on to scientifically study as the virtue of fortitude, which is not just bouncing back, but learning how to endure hardship and still do good in the face of hardship. And so I think in times like this, like with COVID-19, we want to do our best to continue to live resilience with resilience and to try to push through this and to try to continue to live in a normal way as best as we can. But I also want to encourage others to think about how do we start to call fortitude? You know, how do we start to be able to ride this out in a way in which we're still able to do good to others and uh, still be able to endure during these challenging times. And so one of the differences yeah. then that we've seen is in our research that so we've actually compared grit, resilience, and fortitude. And all three are important, and all three have an important role. But where the ways that we've seen fortitude to be different is that whereas resilience is trying to get through the um, negative event to get back to life, fortitude is what helps us to still live life even during difficult times. And grit is that kind of that uh, pushing, you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. But fortitude, one of the ways that it's different is it helps us to know when we, like you said in that song, like we have to be strong, we have to hold on, but there's also wisdom in sometimes recognizing that it's okay to also have times when we're weak. It's also okay to rely on others. And so there's a wisdom that comes with cultivating fortitude that helped us to make it through these challenging times, especially in times when we can't always see the end result. 
Yeah, I think that's a good, good, good framing and a good and a good perspective. And sometimes, yeah, you have to allow yourself to just kind of kind of let it go and and um, and and feel a little vulnerable and feel a little weak and and um, and let others around you be that uh, you know be that support for you. And uh, and Jamie, I'm from Philadelphia, so I know a thing or two about grit. I think maybe the word was invented <laughs> in Philadelphia. <laughs> I think you might be right, actually. So, and, and I, I definitely appreciate grit. And when I think about it, you know, like that, that was one of the things that was hard for me. Cause like, you know, I grew up on a farm and, you know, my father actually started off every day going to work by literally pulling himself up by the bootstraps, right. To, you know, he'd put on his boots and go out into the field. Um, and so that kind of work ethic I think is important, but again, you know, with fortitude, we also need to, to pay attention to when, when do we need to take a rest or, you know, I've had times where, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very kind of type A person where I like to get a lot of stuff done and, you know, mark off my to-do list. And so eventually I've even uh, came to learn that I could look at naps instead of not doing something that naps was actually active resting, right? <laughs> you know, that's something that I could do for my body. It wasn't that I wasn't doing something. It was, I could reframe it. And so fortitude helps us think in that way. I like it. I like it. Um, so, Jamie, you've seen a lot of disasters, and, and, and from, from an expert perspective, um, what do you think are some of the challenges that set this apart from other disasters that you've studied? I mean, as an example, the word that keeps coming up that I keep hearing is uncertainty, which is, I think is a hard, that's a hard part of this for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's that uncertainty and the not knowing and the way that it's unfolding that is making it so challenging for people that if you look at a lot of disasters, you know, that they sometimes will pop up spontaneously. So you don't even see them coming. Or even if it's something like a hurricane where you still may have a week, there's that, that strain that comes with trying to prepare ourselves for a worst case scenario that seems to be kind of floating out there. But in most situations it comes and it's done and it's over. Um, and so not meaning that the recovery process is over, but that the major threat tends to move and, and pass on fairly quickly. But in this sort of situation, it, we can't see that threat, so to speak. You know, you, it's hard to can't like point and be able to identify where, you know, COVID-19 is floating around. So it does leave people, I think, much more anxious as people are awaiting. The other thing is, I think one of the ways that it's different is that it's impacting our entire world right now, that, you know, countries all over the globe are struggling with this issue. And so in many situations, like for instance, we've actually done some research on, on psychological responses to Ebola. And I remember one of the things that was interesting was how early on in the U.S., very few citizens had any sort of major worry or anxiety. But as soon as we got those first couple of cases diagnosed in the U.S., suddenly there was this huge amount of panic. And we wanted to understand why are people panicking now when there's only been a couple of cases compared to when it was over there. And that's exactly what we found was part of the issue, that it wasn't our problem, that it was something that only happened to other people. And with COVID-19, with its rapid spreading, it's making people feel much more vulnerable that, oh, this is something that could happen to me. This isn't just a problem in another country or to someone else's problem. This is all of our problem, and we're feeding off of that anxiety. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've seen things happen here with this crisis that we've never seen or could have imagined, you know, could have happened in this country. So I think that's, you know, right. even more and, alarming. And the fact that it's, for, oh, absolutely, yeah. and, and how it's spread so fast and still how yeah. much we have to learn um, about this. And so it really did kind of catch us 
uh, unprepared. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jamie, I've seen news stories about how people who who are recovering from COVID-19 are experiencing what is sometimes called survivor's guilt. And I know in essays and interviews, mm. you've openly mm-hmm. shared your struggles with survivor's guilt as a cancer survivor. Uh, this is a place where, again, you bring a unique perspective from your professional work and your personal experience. Can you tell our listeners what that term means and share with us what you were feeling and how it, it impacted you? And was it something that you felt or recognized right away, or did you need some distance uh, in order to be able to see that or frame it that way? No, it actually took me quite some time to understand. Um, I would say it was almost a year before I finally started to realize what it was that I thought I was kind of struggling some with anger and some other problems uh, post-treatment and then realized uh, actually from going to a, a musical that one of the main characters was struggling with survivor's guilt and realized like, oh my gosh, that's what I've been struggling with because um, I had lost some, some dear friends uh, during that time, yet I am still here and have grappled and continue to over time. And one of the things that is really challenging, and we've set out since then to actually try to study survivor skill. So, for instance, we did some research in Baton Rouge after the 2016 flood. We also did research um, in around Hurricane Matthew to try to understand survivor skill more scientifically. And what we really have found is that at the core of this is the comparison factor, right? That we're comparing our experience to other people's experience. And in some ways, I actually wrote a piece on this uh, not long ago where I compared survivor's guilt to really being like a tornado of guilt. Because like to have a tornado, the way that those form is you have two competing air fronts, a warm front and a cold front that collide together. And so that's one of the reasons why on an emotional level, guilt is so challenging out of survivorship is because it means that for it uh, to be a vote, there's something in your life probably going good. But then also then we kind of have these reminders of all these difficulties. And it's when those negative experiences we've had collide with these maybe moments of feeling grateful or positive experiences is what causes that guilt. It's from when those two kind of fronts, emotionally speaking, so to speak, uh, collide with one another. And they can start to spiral out of control if we're not cautious. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, Jamie, so we are, our helpline at Cancer Support Community is ringing off the hook right now. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. In fact, we've added staff, we've added hours. It's now open seven days a week. Patients are calling with a whole host of issues. But I know for some people, it is really hard to ask for help, whatever mm, that help looks yeah. like, whether it's just talking to somebody, whether it's saying, you know, we're getting calls now saying, look, I'm having a financial Having a financial crisis, do you have financial support? We've launched an emergency fund to send that support out to folks. But we're in a weird spot here, right, because it's hard to ask for help. And then on the other side, it's hard to give help when we're isolated, yeah. when you're not supposed to leave, when you're not supposed to interact with people. What are some ways that people can, can, can connect without sort of violating some of these rules about stay at home, stay away, those kinds of things? That's a great question. And, you know, I, I just want to start by sharing that this has been – and was one of my biggest struggles was asking for help that, you know, professionally, my job has always been to be the helper, you know, that there's a major mass catastrophe. I'm the person going into that event. And it's always been hard for me to ask for help to be the helpy. But I want to encourage everyone that we're all the kind of people that need help. And by allowing others to help us, it oftentimes is also helping that person who's uh, acting on our behalf. So we actually know that there's positive benefits from acts of altruism. And at the same time, even though we all may be struggling to some extent with COVID-19, 
everyone can help in, a, in different ways. So with this event, what I would really encourage people to think about is what are the ways that you've helped in the past? What are your strengths as a natural helper? What are some of the ways that you've heard from your friends or family that this is something special that you do in your life? And to think about from those strengths, how to pivot them to now address the needs of others in times of COVID-19. So for example, maybe you were somebody who regularly volunteered previously on um, working with older adults in your community. Well, now we know there's lots of warnings, especially that older adults are um, maybe at more risk. So you end up isolating yourself. But there's actually, if you work through a trusted organization, many have good precautions mm-hmm. in place of how you still can help um, by doing physical distancing, but still helping to deliver meals, for yeah. example. But at the same time, other things that I would encourage is to take advantage of the technology that we have at our fingertips. Yeah. And, yep. you know, just today, you know, I've been on three Zoom calls with friends. I've sent about 10 text messages with friends just to say hello, you know, and sent somebody yep. just a silly video just because I knew they needed to laugh today. So it's just yeah, using absolutely. those small ways and trying to take life online. That's right. Yeah, and I know we're we're all making great strides in getting our our um, senior parents <laughs> to, uh, to take advantage of some of this with technology. We had a Zoom Easter dinner on uh, on Sunday, and it was my parents' first time ever doing anything like that, and it was so joyful. Um, oh, that's so, great. Uh, Jamie, we're coming to the uh, yeah, it was terrific. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show, Jamie, and I'm just so grateful for your candor, your insights, um, uh, and for joining us. So uh, we appreciate that. We're going to take a a quick break. Um, Don't go away. We're going to be back with Susan Ashley to talk more about resilience and and coping with the emotions during um, this crisis. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our episode today is brought to you in part by Azai, uh, Gilead, uh, Janssen, Pfizer Oncology, uh, Pharmacyclics, and Takeda Oncology. We have a lot more on the other side of the break to discuss with uh, Susan Ashley. I'm Kim Tebaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, 
how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Agios, Estellas, Janssen Oncology, Taiho Oncology, Sorrow, and Veristem. We are now joined by my friend and colleague, Susan Ashley. As Vice President of Clinical Services, Susan is responsible for all clinical programs, including in-person, telephonic, and digital support, all critical components of the $50 million in free services the cancer support community provides patients and their loved ones each year. Prior to joining CSD, Susan was the Director of Clinical Social Work for Rocky Mountain Cancer Centers, Colorado's largest provider of cancer care. She has spent her career in oncology and palliative care working for um, uh, for-profit community cancer centers as well as in academic hospitals and hospice settings. Her articles have appeared in publications such as the Journal of Oncology Practice and the Journal of Psychosocial Oncology. She has focused her career on building robust, supportive care oncology programs, which include psychosocial research, integrated psychosocial support, advanced illness coordination, and post-treatment survivorship. She is particularly interested in how resiliency models and positive psychology interventions can increase well-being, enhance life satisfaction, personal growth, and change. That all sounds good. She was the 2010 recipient of the American Psychosocial Oncology Society's Outstanding Clinical Care Award. Well-deserved. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Susan, you told me that you've taken to sort of starting all of your conversations with family, friends, colleagues by asking them if they are okay. Why do you do that? Tell us about that opening. Yeah, sure. You know, it just seems like um, this is a time that requires a different set of questions. We very flippantly ask people how you are, and folks respond rotely, I'm fine. And I just have found that asking this question, are you okay, um, kind of changes things. People think into that question differently and answer it from a real mind, body, spirit perspective. And it allows us to have kind of truer conversations. Um, and then they ask it back, are you okay? And I get to answer from all those places of, in which that maybe I'm okay or not so okay. And so I just feel like this is a time for different questions. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Susan, we talked to Jamie earlier, and you heard the conversation about resilience, and I'd like to take a deeper dive on that with you. You talk about building resilience as if it were the process of sort of strengthening a muscle. Can you tell us about that metaphor? You bet. And, and Jamie really talked about this idea of fortitude, 
and how that's different than resilience. And, and he talked about how resilience we often look at as just simply and merely bouncing back as if there's not a, a process or a continuum of that. And I loved what he had to say. So let me talk about what I mean by resilience, and then I can talk about the way I use that from a, a metaphor perspective. Um, there are so many ways we define resilience um, and how we move back from adversity and possibly into that positive adjustment or growth during a life disruption like coronavirus or like cancer. Uh, but most agree that resilience is a process that begins after a significant life difficulty and invo- involves ongoing recalibration. And I think that's what Jamie was talking about when he talked about fortitude. So with that in mind, I imagine resilience as a literal muscle, something that I can build, that we can build and get better at, which actually gives me a lot of hope. So let's use the example of running a marathon, um, which I am not going to do, but it would not help if I just... If I just thought about running the marathon, I'm not going to actually then be able to show up on the day of the race and run it because I didn't do any of the work that was required so that I could make it through. You have to register for that marathon and start training. But often folks give up after the first few weeks of excitement um, in that training because it gets hard. And so you um, often need to get a running partner and a coach uh, to help you prepare. And I believe, like, resilience is that same same way, that we need to take conscious action steps so that when we face adversity, we're ready. So, Susan, let's, 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 let's dig a little deeper on that because I, I think I like what you're saying, and I think that our listeners may, may – relate to this a little bit or want to hear more about that. Tell us, what can we do to build our our resilience? Talk about that. Sure. You know, resilience are really those protective attributes which are modifiable, okay? So it includes things like finding meaning and purpose in life, which, boy, can be so tough when we're facing adversity, that sense of self-efficacy or empowerment, having some cognitive flexibility so that you're not rigid in your thinking or rigid in the way that you ask for support, um, coping and social support. And uh, social support is even more important now. And so there's a couple of actions um, that I can think of that all of us can access, um, no matter if we are uh, social distancing or at stay-at-home orders. And these two actions can really build a lot of resilience and help strengthen that muscle, so to speak. So the first one is gratitude, and there is ample research to show that deliberately focusing on good things in our lives, really practicing gratitude, it's more than just having an attitude of gratitude. Much like I said a moment ago, you can have an attitude about a marathon. It doesn't help you cross the finish line. But we have to actually take action. Um, And it is easy to give in to our natural negativity biases in our brains. Boy, that anxiety can be contagious, but so can gratitude. So at the end of each day, writing down three good things about the day, no matter how small, such as um, a rainbow in the sky or another day without symptoms or a funny joke you heard, it's amazing what you'll notice when you begin to pay attention to those small things. Another way of practicing gratitude is simply saying thank you or writing a thank you email or text for all the small things and big things that others do for you throughout the day. A second thing that you can do every day is really incorporating a mindfulness practice. And this is all throughout the research and the literature on a good thing that you can do. 
And mindfulness is simply a skill to find as paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. So by doing so, we increase our self-awareness of all that we are feeling and thinking, and we begin to practice some openness and acceptance of our experience. Mindfulness does not mean focusing on only what is good and instead ignoring what is causing us pain, but how but rather mindfulness allows us to accept the experience and let go of the desire of changing it or making it uh, or denying it. Yeah. You know, Susan, my mom is a big note writer. She finds a lot of sort of therapeutic, she's beautiful handwriting and finds real value uh, in writing no handwritten notes to people. So I sent her a yeah. big box of note cards so she can engage in that activity and, and her reaching out in that way brings her sort of joy, you know, and I think that that aligns with um, with some of the things you're you're describing. Um, Susan, yeah. you also mentioned this idea of uncertainty. We started to unpack that a little bit with uh, yeah. with Jamie, but boy, oh boy, that's a word that keeps coming up as a central part of what people are trying to cope with during this time. Yeah. Um, when when are we going to lift this? When can we go back? Will we be safe? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with schools? How can we move forward? Uh, when facing such a period of uncertainty in our society. Yeah, well, good grief. Who likes uncertainty? That's for the birds. Um, And yet it's, you know, an absolute universal human challenge, right? We will all face uncertainty. Um, I think the just acknowledging the uncertainty goes a long way in reducing the emotional burden. And um, because we know that uncertainty is part of life and pretending that everything is okay is simply not helpful, but but so is ruminating, right? Ruminating on uncertainty doesn't make it better. And so no. I found that acknowledging it and allowing um, it, it, and admitting it, and it allows others in our life to share that common experience, and then we have this kind of shared empathy for each other, this kind of idea of, oh my gosh, I feel uncertain too, and it, it shifts that burden and that personalization um, because m- most of life um, has an element of the unknown and uncertain, but no more, no more powerful than where we are from a, from a global experience. Yeah. yeah. Susan, another word that, that, that keeps coming up is sort of a vulnerable, vulnerability. We've had some thoughtful mm-hmm. conversations about cancer patients and their caregivers being honest with themselves and others about feeling vulnerable. And, and, and we even use yeah. that term, you know, when we look at the categories of people who could be affected by this, we say cancer patients are in a vulnerable category, right? Share your, your, yeah. your thoughts and advice with our listeners about that word and that feeling of vulnerability. Yeah, I've I've just never met um, anyone without great courage that also doesn't acknowledge their great vulnerability. Um, Being able to say out loud, I feel vulnerable, doesn't mean that you're weak or that there's something wrong with you. It simply means that you're being forthright and honest about this human experience. Um, But I think the ways in which cancer patients and caregivers are feeling most vulnerable right now is um, the amount of what-ifs that are are happening that are unique to those with cancer, uh, from treatment delays to suddenly changing office visits to telehealth with their physicians to the fear of walking into a chemo suite um, and wondering if someone has uh, been, you know, asymptomatic for the coronavirus. 
um, as well as just the layers of uh, the financial impact um, as caregivers and patients are reporting that they're being furloughed um, or have lost their jobs completely. So there is a level of vulnerability um, that cancer patients and caregivers are facing that are, you know, really deeply um, troubling because they're also trying to get to treatment and stay the course there. Um, Susan, you've just been great today about sharing your knowledge and insights as well as tips and ideas that our listeners can act on to help them, them cope. I know you recently presented a talk called Eight and Three Quarters Tips for Coping with the Storms of Life. It sounds like a little bit of a recipe. <laughs> I love the title. And I love the... Uh, the humor, um, the humor in the recipe. Could you pick two or three, uh, two or three uh, of those tips to share with our listeners today? You bet. Well, and I hope that folks hear in the in the title that um, playfulness and humor is so important in really um, in resilience and in that idea of grit and optimism. But one of my favorites um, is a little play on um, a spoonful of sugar. And so it's a, a spoonful of oxytocin, which is more powerful than sugar, in my opinion. Oxytocin is the love hormone and um, is created in uh, the hypothalamus and um, really allows us to connect with others, right? And so you might think, well, how can I have a spoonful of oxytocin when I have to do everything by Zoom? Well, there's lots of ways. Um, If you have a dog or a cat, petting them actually um, allows the oxytocin to flow. Sharing a meal, having a soak in a tub, hugging someone that you love and that you live with, And actually using the L word, love, telling someone I love you and meaning it um, actually increases um, that sense. I also talked a little bit about mindfulness. There's a lovely um, meditation called the Loving Kindness Meditation, which has really shown um, that it increases uh, the love hormone, so to speak. So another one is a little fanciful, and I call it uh, hula hoops and tambourines, which, of course, is nowhere in the literature. However... It speaks to um, humor and playfulness, which is in the literature for um, increasing well-being. And um, all of us have a hula hoop or a tambourine, that, that special something that causes us to giggle and, um, and just feel a sense of delight. Um, and this is really a, a terrific reminder that even in heartache and grief, in the midst of a global pandemic or hearing the news that you have cancer, we can still give ourselves permission to incorporate a bit of whimsy and playfulness and humor. We have seen this all um, over the past few weeks as people have connected hilariously through Zoom. It certainly did not take away from the reality of coronavirus, but it lightened the collective load. Um, And so I have incredible love for hula hoops and tambourines, and I have absolutely no musical talent, as you can attest to. Um, And many in my family will even um, say that I can't clap on the right beat, but give me a tambourine, and it will be as if I was going for a Tony Award myself. Um, So I guess I would encourage everyone (laughs) to find that that things that delight so that you can have the, the resilience and the fortitude to make it to tomorrow. Terrific, Susan. I, I really appreciate you joining us and, and uh, giving our listeners some of those words um, of encouragement and inspiration. Uh, r- really terrific to hear that and terrific uh, to hear from you and Jamie um, on these topics. I think we all 
could use a, a little bit of a lesson on these things right now. Um, I, I want to take uh, my final minute or so uh, here just to remind our listeners about some of the special resources that we have available as an organization as we, as we face the, uh, the, the coronavirus, the uncertainty uh, of these times. If you have questions or concerns, please reach out to our helpline. We have a wonderful team of specially trained counselors under Susan's leadership, um, and they are here to help you. Um, if you are experiencing financial hardship as a result of the coronavirus, or if you're being treated for cancer, you can uh, reach out and ask about our cancer emergency fund that we just launched. Uh, the fund provides um, uh, stipends, financial assistance to individuals affected by cancer, maybe lost their jobs, they need help with food, utilities, other basics. To uh, get a copy of that application, call our toll-free number. Uh, it's 888 if you're just grabbing a pen now, do that, and I'll say it again in just a minute. Um, but we want to make you aware uh, of that. Uh, you can also visit my lifeline to set up your online community or visit our special uh, resources at cancersupportcommunity.org slash coronavirus. Again, to reach out to that fund, call 888-409-4166 or just to speak to one of our counselors. We have lots of resources available. Thank you for joining today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.